Uh, we're concluding our five-part series through, uh, called Every Member Ministry. And the reason why we were doing this is we wanted to kind of activate our church. And today what I want to do is I want to share why we're doing all those things that I just showed you. The, the sermon series and the things ahead. And even when we start making a little bit of changes in our church, you're going to notice small things take place. Like why are we doing that? It's all very intentional. And I hope today to kind of lay out the groundwork of why we're doing that. And so uh, if you guys have your, your Bibles or if you have your programs, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. And we look at verses 11 to 16. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, uh, this should sound familiar, this passage. But if you're visiting for the first time, uh, this is uh, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And we're going to be starting in verse 11 all the way to verse 16. So Paul writes, starting verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, this passage sounds familiar is because this is actually the first passage we looked at to start the series off. We, we looked at this uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9 to 16. Uh, and I wanted to return to this passage to kind of bookend this series. Uh, and I want to emphasize certain parts that we weren't able to emphasize the last time we looked at this passage. Uh, the context of... Ephesians, if you guys were there a few weeks ago, was that Paul, he's writing a letter from prison to an, a church in, uh, in the city of Ephesus. And what's interesting is if you ever read the New Testament, you'll know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a lot of it is composed letters from him writing to different churches. But the a letter to Ephesus, Ephesians, what makes it very unique is that it's the one letter where it, there's no problem going on. In the book of Galatians or Romans or Corinthians, there's a problem going on. And so Paul, he makes very specific uh, exhortations about the problem in those cities. But to the letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, there's not an issue. It, it's, there's no unique thing that's taking place. Uh, there's no specific problem because the letter to Ephesus, it is what's known as a circular letter. And what that means is that it's not meant for that one church. It's, this letter is meant to be read and then passed around and circulated to all the churches that are nearby Ephesus. Because everything that the Apostle Paul is telling the church of Ephesus, he actually wants it to be read and known by every church. He's speaking to every Christian saying, you should know this, you should seek after this, including our church. Our church also has to pay attention to this. And that's why in verse 11, Paul, he says, I want you to know, and we talked about this four weeks ago, that you know, the church, it's a gift to you. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, those who started the church, it's a gift that's given to Christians. And the purpose is to equip you. The church is here to equip you to do the work of ministry. And the reason why the church is meant to do that is the key phrase in verse 13. If you guys look at verse 13 again, it says, Until we all attain to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. And here's the key part, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ, the fullness of Christ. That word fullness in the Greek, it is a numerical word. You could almost say it means max capacity. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but uh, Disneyland, you guys know what the average attendance is in Disneyland every single day? Like the average amount of people who are there. 
51,000. So right now at Disneyland, on this Lord's Day, there are 51,000 people in Disneyland Park. Do you guys know what the max capacity is at Disneyland? Like when they close the gate? 85,000. Once it hits 85,000, max capacity, boom, no one else could come in. Paul, he is saying that his hope for the church at Ephesus is they would reach max capacity, fullness. But not in attendance, not in bodies, but what does he say? Fullness of Christ. What does that mean? Paul is saying that for every church, the goal is to become as max capacity to be like Jesus. Not just to grow in morality, although that's good. Not just to grow in theology, although that's good. But to become more and more like Jesus because Jesus is the most true and flourishing human being that ever walked on this earth. He was fully God, yes, but he was also fully man. And Paul, he wants his, the churches to look like Jesus because the church is meant to be filled with followers of Jesus. And if you hear that, if you go, hey, the goal of this church is for you to grow to be like Jesus, and you go, oh, that's, that's nice, but it sounds a little boring, sounds like even a little bit removed or irrelevant to you. Let me suggest that it's because your view of Jesus it might be really shallow. You might have a very low view, lower view of Jesus than you should. Dane Ortland, he wrote this book that I'm reading called Deeper. He says it like this, quote, One reason you often see modest growth in your life is that the Jesus you are following is a junior varsity Jesus, an unwittingly reduced Jesus, an uninspiring and predictable Jesus. Consider the possibility that your current mental idea of Jesus is the tip of the iceberg. That there are wondrous depths to him, realities about him still awaiting your discovery. You know, when I was younger, I heard of uh, Steve Jobs, that he was the innovator of Apple. And I thought, oh, that's cool, he must be really smart. But what was interesting, if you ever read his biography about Steve Jobs and his life, man, you don't just admire him, you get inspired. In fact, you want to like, change your life when you read that biography because you realize how innovative he was, how kind of like he was very like proactive. That's why it's no, it's no secret why all these like CEO leaders, they wear and dress like Steve Jobs, the black shirt and the long turtleneck thing because they're trying to copy him because they're so inspired. They go, wow, Steve Jobs, he's just an inspiring person that I want to be like and I want to live that type of life that Steve Jobs is living. In a similar way, this is what, who I find to be more and more fascinating when I see Jesus, not just as this distant figure who my parents introduced me to, and it's good to come and acknowledge him, but when you really get into who Jesus is, like he's a real person that people are recording and talking about, he's really fascinating. It's very fascinating, the character and his responses and his teachings, and he calls followers to live. And when you really understand the depths of who Jesus is, you can't help but want to emulate him and follow him. And so that's kind of what, uh, that's what, the, that's what uh, Dane Ortland is talking about, and that's the goal that Paul has for all the followers of Jesus, to be like him. But here's the thing, if you ever want to be like Jesus, to experience fullness, it does not happen automatically. Right? You can want something as much as you want, but there's something has to happen. And Paul, he talks about that. Notice verses, throughout verses 13 to 15, the type of language Paul uses. He wants you to grow in the fullness of Christ, but he says in verse 13, you must do it until we take mature manhood. It takes maturity. In verse 14, he talks about how you must no longer be children. Don't stay as kids. Verse 15, he says we are to grow in every way. In verse 16, he tells us the body must grow. In other words, something has to change in order for you to accomplish what you want. I recently got a gym membership this past week at 24-Hour Fitness. And when I went there, the gym guy said, when was the last time you went to the gym? And I was like, oh, since my son was born. He was like, when was that? And I was like, seven years ago. I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, do I get a card to swipe in? 
He's like, we don't do that anymore, sir. It's the, you know, phone or fingerprint. That's how long it's been. And so, you know, I'm, I, I want to, but I got the membership because I want to grow my body back to health. My body has just been unhealthy for the past seven years because I'm a dad. And that just happens. Uh, so I want to grow. I want to be healthy. But just because I have a gym membership, it does not make me healthy, right? Just as I want it doesn't make me healthy either. Uh, I have to, like, make shifts in my life. I have to now carve out time to work out. I have to bring extra clothes. I have to kind of make sure I pack my stuff when I go to work. I need to make sure that, you know, my, my, my work time is all different. And uh, I have to make shifts in my life. And I think Paul, he's trying to say something similar. Churches, they are supposed to grow in the fullness of Christ. But you need to make a shift in your life in order to do that. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about, well, what does fullness of Christ look like for our church? It's a nice general principle, but how does it apply in this 21st century to us here at Buena Park in Grace Hill? And what are the shifts that our church has to make in order to reach full maturity in that way? And so just know, um, I have, there's a, a two-year plan for this church that I feel like, uh, I don't say this often, but I feel like it's God-driven, I think. It's very, like, prayerful, and it's been something I've been thinking about, but this is, like, the first time there's, like, articulation there. A two-year plan for our church to live out the fullness of Jesus. And this upcoming year, the whole focus is this. To become a community that is practicing the way of Jesus in our lives. I believe it's on the screen right there. A community practicing the ways of Jesus in our life. Like, do we know what Jesus does? Do we know what he calls us to do? And are we doing it? Because if, if we, we can say all we want, we follow Jesus. But if you're not following him, that's a, that's, you're, you're not really, that's not really anything. It's just us talking. But do we know what Jesus has done? Do we know what he calls us to do? And are we doing it? We want to spend this whole upcoming year really emphasizing that. How do we practice the way of Jesus in our lives? And then the hope is in, 20, in the next year, in 2023-24, is we are a community that is being formed by the Spirit in our hearts. Where as we're practicing these things, it's going to just cause us to confront our idols, to confront our, our pain points, to confront our, our sin addictions. And this is where we really need to get deeper. And this allows the spirit to come and to really bring change and transformation to us. And that's my two-year, that's the two-year plan. I, I told our staff this. I said, hey, after two years, I'm going to contemplate my life. I'm going to contemplate, like, my calling and if I, am I still effective. But until then... I'm here for two years. Like, I am dedicated two years to, like, just see this play out because I really think this is what our church really needs. But if we are to do this, like, practicing the way of Christ and also allowing the Spirit to form us, uh, we have to make some shifts in our church right now. Like, we have to shift just like if you work out in a gym. You can't just go unless you plan it. What are some things we can do? And so what I want to do today for the rest of our time is I want to highlight five shifts that I hope our church can make so that we could really grow in the fullness of Christ. If you're new today, this is your first time visiting our church, it's a great day to know where our church is at right now and where we aspire to be, and that matches you, and if you want to join us for that journey. If you're a member who is here, uh, see this as more of a pastoral charge in light of what Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and I hope this could also prepare us to, make, to observe the small changes that our church might make. Just know everything I took, I, I'm borrowing a framework from a, a, another church called Bridgetown. I, all the content's original, but the framework, I'm kind of borrowing from that. But um, five shifts for our church uh, this upcoming season to reach the fullness 
of Christ. Here's the first shift. It has to do with Sunday worship. Right now, right here, Sunday worship. Shift number one is this. From a culture of observation and attendance to a culture of communion. From a gathering of people who are observing things going on, who are attending what's going on, shifting that to a culture where we experience communion with God. What do we mean by that? Uh, let me ask a question. What is the point of us being here? Like, you guys could do whatever you want. You could go to the beach, or even us, we could say, let's go to the beach, and we go to the beach, and we enjoy the weather, or so forth. So why are we here? Why do we meet here every single Sunday? Why do we devote budget to meet at Buena Park to open the space? Why do we call volunteers to do all this? And I know we have our religious answers, but, like, if you looked at your actions, if you looked at your, felt like your emotions and what you really paid attention to, what would you say is the real purpose of us gathering here on Sundays? And it's a relevant question because after COVID, it made people question that. A lot of people just went for habit, habitual reasons, religious reasons, but COVID, it broke the habit. And once COVID kind of, quote, ended, we had to almost ask ourselves, why am I coming on Sundays? Can't I just watch a church online? Like, what, what's the big deal? And when I thought about this and I read about this, I realized, like, there's, generally speaking, two reasons why people see Sundays being purposeful. There's two general reasons. Here's the first one. The real point of why we gather as a church is to hear a good lecture about the Bible and to learn how it applies to my life. It's about learning what the Bible says and how does that apply to me. And that's what I want to learn. That's why I'm here. And again, that's a good reason to gather on Sundays. And I think it's true for a lot of us. For example, in our, in our Sunday worship, we meet for about an hour, 15, hour, 20 minutes together. What does most of the time get devoted to? The sermon, right? And so it's very natural for us to think this is what we're here for, to listen to a lecture about the Bible. Uh, some of us, when you come to church, you evaluate the church, should I stay here, oftentimes by the sermon. Like, do I like this guy? Do I like the preacher? Ah, I'll go to a different church. Or I'll stay here because I like it. It's because of the sermon. A lot of us, when we drive home with our spouses, it's really rare for someone to drive home and go, hey, hon, what would you think of praise today? What would you think of the presider? Was that a good prayer? Like, no one does that, right? We always ask, hey, how's how the sermon? Like, what was the sermon like? Or for some of us here, when we come to church, we, uh, we think, um, so long as I make it to the sermon, I'm at church. If we miss the first song, it's all good. If I miss the second song, it's all good. But if you come in and it's the end of the third song and you see a prayer, you go, oh, I made it to church. Why? Because it's a sermon. It's, all, it's about the message. We're, 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 the purpose of church is to learn things about the Bible and how to apply it to our lives. And that's how most, a lot of us think. And again, that's a very legitimate reason or way to view church. But if that's your only view, then you're going to problems. Uh, there's going to be problems with that. Uh, it creates this culture of observation, of attendance, because that's what it is, right? You just listen to a lecture, like a classroom. And if you do that, if you think about it long enough, you actually might not be here too long. Because why not just do this online? If it's about learning about the Bible, there's a plenty of Bible teachers out there that could teach you in a very robust way online. Or why not just, I'm late today, I'll just catch the sermon on the podcast. I'll listen to it Monday. And it's kind of, the, you know, not the same, you know, in person is better, but, you know, it's pretty much the same thing. And especially if you're a parent, it's like, man, I have to drag my kids all the way here. It's just really hard. Again, let's listen to the podcast as a family. Because we view it as learning things about the Bible to apply to our lives. That's, uh, I think, a, a large percentage, maybe how we think. 
Others of us, though, you're just like, you know, I am not here for the sermon. I just, just let it pass. I'm on fantasy football right now. I'm watching something because I just, let's just get this done with for the real show, which is after worship, where I finally get to meet people because I'm lonely. Nobody talks to me. But Sunday, because I'm a parent and I'm only talking to my kids, it's the one day that I get to meet people and interact with them. And again, you will never see that verbally, but in your heart, that's the main show, right? You look forward to the snacks and to the energy that happens after worship. It's every introvert's nightmare, but all the extroverts are like, yes, that's what I look for. And that's why for a lot of us, this is what the Sunday's for. We look for the community and the post-worship life. And again, nothing's wrong with that either, but if that's you, you will also run into problems as well. Worship is going to feel like a time to get through. Like, hurry, 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 hurry. Sermon, let it be 20 minutes, please. Because not, that's not what it's for. That's not what church is for you. Or if you go out and you meet people, awesome. But what if you're that person who goes, man, I don't know who to talk to after worship. Then church becomes kind of meaningless. It's like, why am I driving out here to come to church and no one even talks to me? Or why, if I'm part of a community group where I'm with people experiencing Christian fellowship, why would I come to Sundays where it's this huge group and it's really awkward after worship? And so you judge like that post-worship time as church. And that's kind of our measurement that's there. And again, that's, nothing is wrong with seeing church as learning things, connecting the community. But just know that's really different than how the ancient church saw these gatherings. These gatherings were not less than learning about the Bible. It was much more. It was not less than community, but it was much more. Well, how did the early church see these gatherings? Communion with God. It was about communion. Not the Lord's Supper communion. I mean communing with God. Fellowship with the living God. They really believed when the church gathered together, God was present with them in this unique way. Not because there's something special about Buena Park, but because the church is gathering. The church is gathering. And when you see the story of how Jesus created the church, you'll see that that's kind of what the basis was of why they gathered. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus, this is the first time he talks explicitly about the church in the New Testament. He says, when you gather together, and he's talking about the church, not just Christians, the church. In Matthew 18, verse 20, says this on the screen. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Jesus is everywhere. He's, we believe he's omnipresent. But in the church, there's this unique way where when they gather together, he's there with them. And the early church really believed that. When the early church would gather in the book of Acts, after Jesus ascended, they experienced God with them. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, look what it says. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They experienced God is actually here. We're not just a bunch of people meeting. We really believe that there's a God who's present with us. And that's why Paul, he tells the early church, when you gather, expect God to be here. Expect his presence to be here in this place. He writes to the Corinthian church in chapter 5, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord, with the power of our Lord Jesus. His power is here when you gather together as a church. And that's why in the, I know the modern church is just song, sermon, bounce y'all, let's all eat together. Early church, not like that at all. Very liturgical. A lot of what they call liturgy, where they follow this response to God. And even our church, if you look at our programs, we have a liturgy. This is our liturgy. And we don't do that because we just like this. This is the ancient liturgy of the church since the beginning of the church. Where we are, we remember God calls us to worship. We respond with a prayer of adoration. We praise him. We confess our sins. 
we hear instruction, meaning the sermon, a prayer of, uh, we pray, and then we respond in song, and then there's a blessing and benediction. Because this is the church's way of teaching us when we interact with God, what do we do? How do we respond to him? In other words, to summarize, what's the point of us gathering here together? It is for us to meet the living God. God calls us to worship, not the presider. It wasn't Emily who called us to worship. We believe God calls us to worship. It is not just a random person sharing his thoughts and instruction, but as long as the Bible is being preached, it is God who is speaking to us. It is God who blesses us. And that's why we are not just to observe and just be here. But if God is really here, then we're called to respond to him, to participate, to engage, to sing. And I wonder sometimes if we really believe this, if we really believe the reality of God's presence when we gather together, how would this gathering feel? How would it change? Back in 2016, uh, there's this UK uh, talk show host. His name is Graham Norton. I'm not sure if you've heard of him before. He's like the Jimmy Fallon of the UK. He hosted this TV show called My Adele. It's not a real show. It's a fake show. He just did this as a prank. And you can see it on YouTube, he pretty much invited, hey, anyone who loves Adele, come to this show and audition to sing her song, to look like her, and she will hear the best person who auditions well. So they had all these people who, these women who came dressed as Adele, and they try to, you know, they, they, they want to prepare their song to sing. But the, the kind of, um, the, the little surprise was that Adele herself came, and she dressed in disguise, just pretending she was one of the contestants. And so the room kind of felt like this, just kind of, you know, quiet and tense because no one really knew each other. And one by one, they all came up and they sang their song as professionally as they could. And then they sat down just kind of politely waiting. And then at one point, uh, the real Adele, she came up and nobody knew who she was. And she started to sing one of her songs. And immediately when they heard her sing, they're like, that's Adele. Because nobody sings like that. And they were just like amazed by her. And what was really interesting is that some people, they were just shocked the whole time. Their mouth just opened. Some of the women just like were crying because they're like, I met my hero. But most of them, they just started singing along with Adele. And they were not singing professionally anymore. They're just singing like free, almost like a karaoke night that happened. And you realize that, wow, everything shifted because they were no longer singing for Adele. They were now singing with Adele. It all changed because her presence was in this room. And I can't help but think that how different would it be if a group of followers of Jesus we really believe in the reality that Jesus is present here with us. That when you come with your burdens and you feel heavy coming as we gather, that you don't come alone where nobody knows, but that there is someone who knows what you're carrying as you come into this room. That when you are praying to God, that there is someone who really is listening to you as you pray at this time. That when you're singing and it's off key and it doesn't sound right, that it's all good. God is blessed by your singing. That when there is speaking of the word of God, that it is God who is trying to speak to you in your particular circumstance. If we really believe in this reality, I really wonder how passive can we really be? How would we respond and engage as we gather together? And that's why I love it when I see people, they sing loudly. They don't care if they're off key. I love it. Because they don't care about the people. It's about, I'm, pra- I'm praising God. I love it when I see people, they like raise their hand, and I would never do that because I'm too shy, but I'm like, mm, like when they're raising their hand, because they don't care, they're just like praising God. I love it during a sermon when we get the Asian amens. You guys know the Asian amen? It's not amen, it's just the nod. That's the Asian amen. I'm just like, mm, like that's right, like that's, that's there. I love when people come early, and they're sitting there, and they're just like 
preparing their hearts to pray. Because they, they're not just coming to a show. They're not coming just to meet people. They're meeting the living God. And they're really, they really believe that. And I know if you're, if you're new or you're not a Christian, like, this sounds crazy. Or do you think that there's a God who is really here? And again, as crazy as that sounds, the early church really believed that. And imagine if it was true. How safe of a space can this place be? How safe of a space, more than any other space that you have, where you're gathered together and it's safe to let out your burdens, your sorrows, your joys, because there is someone who you know is present with you, to be there with you. And so I hope our Sunday can really shift where if you're just here to learn things or just connect with people, that those are all good, but no matter how those feel, that I'm here to commune with the living God, because he wants to meet with us every time we gather. That's the first shift, and that's the longest shift. Every other shift, I promise, will be a lot shorter. So, second shift. This has to do with spiritual growth. Uh, one shift to make is from information to transformation and practice. I'm going to be really brief because I talked about this before, but a shift from us being a people who grow through information to letting it be about transformation and practice. You know, one of the saddest realities is if, if you are at our church or at any church and you've been there for 10 years and you're exactly the same for those 10 years. It's really sad and it happens all the time. The, the, the addictions you have, the sin habits you struggle with, the fears that you wrestle with, it's all there, and the church made no difference after 10 years. You're just older now. You just have kids or are married. It's really sad. That's not the way it's supposed to work, and yet it happens all the time. We are exactly the same. Why does this happen? How do we, re- how do we change? Why isn't the church changing us? And I think the reason why this happens a lot is because we think that we change through information. So long, just teach me something new, and if I learn that, oh, that's great. And we're, our whole society has conditioned us for that. The classroom is about learning and lectures. TED Talks about learning and lectures. Churches is about learning and, and lectures. And the problem with that is, even though information is helpful, if information is all that you have, you're not going to change. You know you should not eat the sugary snacks after church today. You have a cavity. Your dentists don't do that. Or you're trying to lose weight like me, and you want to get healthy. And yet, most of us, you're going to eat that snack. You're going to drink that boba after service. You're going to do it. Because even though you know you shouldn't do it, you can't help but do it. Because information is not enough. You love it too much. You follow your love, not your, your, your brain tells you. And your, your loves influence you far more than your brains. And what happens is, if that's the case for us, what we need is a greater vision of how we can change. How can we really grow? And I showed this formation chart that's the best formation chart that I've seen is this is how people grow. We need, to, we need teaching, but we also need to practice. We need to practice what we, what we learn. And we can't do that alone. You have to do it in a community with people who are practicing with you and you are charged by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is with you. And this is not a formula, but this is the conditions and the environment of how change takes place. It's not enough to hear a sermon saying, you should read your Bible. You know the Bible is the word of God? You should read it daily. Don't care how convicted you are going, that's right. If you, if you never read it, you won't change. And for a lot of us, we heard a lot of those sermons. And yet, we're not any different than we were since that sermon, because we're not reading our Bibles. For a lot of us, we hear messages about forgiveness, we go, you know Forgiveness, that's so true. Just as Christ, in Christ I am forgiven, I should forgive that person. But how many of you are really proactively working on forgiving? 
Is that a reality in your life? Are you a more forgiving person? We're not. Not because we don't know, but we're not practicing it. Or how many of us with our sins, the sins that we struggle with, we know we shouldn't do it, and yet it's so hard to, not, to fight against it because we're not really battling, we're not really practicing. And so the goal for our church moving forward is we still want to teach, we still want to preach, we want to give information, but we want to highlight the practices more. How do we practice these things together? And how do we do it as a community through the power of the Spirit? Because we need all of them, not just information, we need community, we need practices, we need the spirit to be transformed into the fullness of Jesus. Third shift. Uh, this has to do with community in our church. A shift that needs to happen is from, a soci from socially connected groups in our church to spiritually accountable relationships. Uh, when I was younger, I was that guy who came to church, who tried to be as anonymous as possible, who would sit in the back or the front or the side, wherever it was most anonymous, and I listened to the sermon, and I would bounce after service. That was me. So if that's you, anonymous, sitting at church, bouncing after service, you are welcome here. You are welcome here because I feel you. I know what that's like, and it's all good. All good if that's you. But to stay there, it gets a little weird, right? And I remember for me, at one point, I was like, I'm that guy who's sitting there, and everyone thinks I'm not friendly, and, you know, they're afraid to say hi to me, so I should smile more, and I should say hi. So I started to become that person. I tried to... Talk to people and my friends who I did, the few people I did know say, you should be like more friendly. And so I did. I like, you know, after service, I'm like, I'm going to talk to people. Awkward. It's really awkward. Like that time after service, like I realized something about that time is that it is a great time after service to catch up. And to say hello. Like that's it. That's the ceiling. Unless you go out, you know, to eat or, some, or something like that. But I realized, like, you know, that space after on Sundays it's really awkward if someone goes up to you going, hey, how are you doing? You go, you know, I'm struggling with depression right now. Like, I've been wrestling this for a long time. And it's like, okay, well, have a good day. <laughs> you just kind of walk away. It's kind of a, you don't have time to really go deep into that. Or like my marriage is struggling or, or so forth. It's hard. And, you know, our impression is, man, this church is so superficial. They don't care. They don't really want to dive deeper. It's not that nine out of ten times. Usually it's just the environment of the church makes it hard to engage and that type of deepness. And I realized, like, oh, our experiences with churches, I heard this framework that I thought was helpful, was we have to distinguish between church around the stage and church around the table. Church around the stage is Sundays. We're, it's around the stage. We're gathered here on Sundays. And again, as I mentioned earlier, it is a unique way to experience God's presence where you cannot do it anywhere else. You can't do it at home. You can't do it with just two friends. It is in the church around the stage where God's presence is uniquely and powerfully experienced. But community is very limited here. If you're looking to find a community by coming on Sundays and meeting people after worship, good luck. That's not going to happen. Because community, even though it is experienced here, it's not built here. It is built, which is called church around a table. Where the church gathers together and we break bread together. We connect with one another. For our church, what we call that is community groups. Community groups, we come together and we get to really know each other. We get to really experience love and support in the community. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, it describes the church in this way. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When I heard that verse back in the day, I thought that is a bunch of BS. Because this church don't care about me. Nobody suffers with me. Nobody rejoices with me. Because my experience with the church was around the stage. 
But fast forward now where I actually experience church around the table. And it's as imperfectly as it might be, it's amazing how this verse became a reality for me. I remember when my wife was pregnant with our third child, uh, my family was not happy. They were like, why would you do that? You already have two children. Why would you ruin your life with a third? We're like, oh, no, we explored. We just wanted a third one. <laughs> like we just got, we, well, we thought three would be great. And, you know, that, they weren't super serious, but, you know, that wasn't really a celebratory moment. But I remember our community group, we met together, and we're like, hey, we have news for our community group. Uh, we're pregnant. And everyone's like, they're like, oh, my gosh. And this other group, like, guess what? We're pregnant, too. We're like, what? And we all just started celebrating. And I remember at that moment, I was like, wow, that's really life-giving. Having people rejoice with the things that we rejoice about, that was, like, just so encouraging. And it was through a group of people in the church. Conversely, uh, some of you guys don't know this, my, a few years ago uh, during COVID, my wife got hospitalized. She had like uh, something with her heart happened and she was in the hospital and she stayed there for two nights. And this was during COVID, so I couldn't go in. So I don't know what was going on. I was like, is my wife going to die? Like, what's happening? It's scary. And I remember I was texting people and you know, apart from my family and my close friends, the most consistent and supportive people throughout that period, that weekend, were my community group. They just always mess with me, going, hey, how are things going? They just let me know that they're praying for me. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is what it means to rejoice with people or to, to grieve and to mourn with people. And I, I really felt that, the church around uh, the table. And I know some of you, you've experienced that too. So there's church around the stage, awesome. Church around the table, awesome. But as I think about it more, I'm like, oh, there's something still missing. There's something still missing because even though I feel a lot of love and support in the community, I'm not sure if I'm changing, if I'm growing. So, and what I mean by that is um, I can share my struggle with my community group. Like, guys, I'm struggling with this. And the typical response of my community group, it means well, is thank you for sharing. Next person. <laughs> and, we, and we share. And I feel very heard, but I'm not changing. Or same thing, when another person shares, I'm struggling with this. I'm thinking, hmm, that's not good. But thank you for sharing. <laughs> Let's move on to the next person. Why, why is it so hard? And even if we try to speak into it, it gets a little challenging. I'm like, why is that so hard? And I actually found a helpful uh, like understanding of how social relationships work that allows space for that. Have you guys ever heard of Dunbar's number before? Robin Dunbar is a British anthropologist. And he was saying that you have to see social relationships in concentric circles, and your expectations much match those circles. If you mix it up, then you're going to always be disappointed. And so what he says is that uh, there's a maximum number of how you experience certain types of relationships. So functional relationships, meaning that these relationships are people where you just generally know their names, you kind of know that they're married or not, and you just know their faces. The maximum number that a human being is able to have is 150. So Facebook lied. You don't have that many friends. Instagram is more true. You have followers. But friends, like people you generally know, 150 is the max. That's why ancient villages, the number of ancient villages, the size of it, was always 150, around that number. That's why the average amount of Christmas cards that Gen Xers and Boomers would send, it's 150. That's the average amount. That's why Jesus' followers in the book of Acts, you know how many people were there after he ascended? About 120, it says in the book of Acts. And that's why when you come to church, 150 is a good size, but when that church goes to like 200, 300, it feels weird. It feels like, well, this isn't my church anymore. Because you no longer recognize the 150. And that's the maximum, right? And we, so in other words, when you come to church on Sundays, this is your tribe. That's the maximum capacity you could expect. It's your tribe. It's who you find identity with. It's who you could kind of be familiar with. 
If you want there to be love and care and experience that from people, you cannot expect 400 for the people. You know what the maximum number that you are capable of, of experiencing that with and expressing that to? 12 to 15. 12 to 15 is the maximum you could expect for people to regularly show you love, care, and support, and vice versa for you to do the same. That's why most sports teams, you know how big they are? 12 to 15. That's the average size usually. Uh, most uh, jury sizes, how many people are in the jury? It's 12. So you guys can actually conduct conversation. Jesus' disciples, how many were there? 12. There were 12. And that's why in community groups, our community groups are about 12. Because in this group, you experience not a tribe, but community. This is your community. Love, care, grieving, support. That's, and that's, the, that's what you experience there. But where do you experience change? where you are deeply challenged, growing, and through these relationships, you are just changing because of them. The maximum number of those types of relationships, three to five. Three to five. That's why most bridesmaids and groomsmen tend to be about three to five, the size of it. That's why Jesus' inner circle, he had an inner circle, it was Peter, James, and John, the three people. Because this is the group of people who, in that social space, you can be really vulnerable, and accountable, and really get spoken, truth spoken into you. And I think for our church, a lot of us, again, we have a tribe if you're part of this church. You have a community if you're part of a community group. But a lot of us, we don't have deep accountability. We don't have that circle. And that's one thing that we really feel convicted that we want to shift in our church. Because Hebrews chapter 3 tells us that this is what the church is supposed to do. Exhort one another every day, as long as called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so what we want to do is, we have our Sundays, but, and those of you who want to get deeper than that, you, want, you, want, you need love and care. We have uh, community groups. Uh, and I hope you sign up for it. I think it's on the screen, uh, the, the image. Yeah, community groups. Please sign up. Please get connected. You will meet 12 to 15 people who will love and care and support. But how do we actually get formed and transformed? Just know in these next few months, one thing we're going to offer is this thing called formation groups. Where we want to grab just four brothers Four sisters, just meeting together, walking with God, practicing the spiritual practices, speaking into each other's lives. And again, I know there's tension with like time and so forth. We are thinking about that as best as possible. But we really believe that there needs to be some type of transformation that happens in our church according to our pace and time. So that's a third shift that's there. Fourth shift, and I'll go do some, this one pretty quickly. Ministries. From staff-led to member-empowered. Can I show you guys a picture? Look at this picture that's uh, next on the screen. This is our retreat of our church. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, people ask me who didn't go retreat, how was retreat? I'm like, dude, it was great. Like for the retreat side and so forth. I, this was one of the best experiences I ever had at a church retreat. And the, um, oftentimes they're like, dude, that's awesome. Are we going to do that again next year? I'm like, probably not. Probably not. Unless the staff doesn't have to plan it. Because this, this was hard, man. <laughs> like, this was really hard. Like, it's so hard to, like, put this together. And, again, it was a blessed time. But our staff and the people, and it wasn't just the staff. We had, like, blessed volunteers that came. And we realized if we didn't have those volunteers helping, we would have been, like, in big trouble. And moving forward, we realized, I realized that's a microcosm of how the church is supposed to work. There's so many needs of our church that's there. And our staff right now, we are just tapped out. Uh, you, ever, you ever play StarCraft? 
Some of you do, right? Like, you know, I talk StarCraft. Everyone's laughing, like, you know, we're all nerds together. You, you wanted to build certain structures. It's like a video game, for those of you who don't know. You have to build certain structures and, and units, and you fight each other. It's really lame. But you can't just build all you want. You have to create this thing called supply depots. Supply depots, it enables you to build more. It just, I'm not sure why. It just does something to make you have the capacity to build more. And I realized for our church, we have no more supply depots. It's done. It's maxed out. Unless the members here become supply depots. Unless we actually take heart into the needs of the church and we actually want to do something more. Again, if church is like this forever, all good. But there's so many needs that are there that I hear people share. And this is always my natural response now. I wish we had more opportunities, people say, where we could meet each other as a church in an organic way. And my automatic thought is, dude, me too. What do you want to do about that? I'll help you plan it. Or I wish we had a gathering of women where our sisters could come together and they could just meet each other. I'm like, dude, that's my, that's, I want that too. When are you going to plan that? I wish we got brothers here who could just learn how to be dads and husbands. Awesome. Well, I hope we have a group of guys who's willing to do that. Because I ain't going to do it. We're tapped out. My counselor, he tells me, I meet with a counselor regularly, and he says, you know, at the rate that you're going, Tom, you're going to quit your church within a year. So you can't keep going at this pace. Even though there's a bunch of needs that the church has, you can't do it. And you have to be okay with just those needs being unmet. Unless, unless members in the body also see that need and they want to step in and fill that need as well. And so just know that's something that we hope to happen, where members could feel free to contribute to the body of Christ. And that's a shift that we hope that could happen in our church. Last shift and then conclusion and we're done. This is the last shift that we need. From, this is about the city. From exposure and relief to partnership and rehabilitation. If this is your first time at our church, one vision our church has is we want to serve the city. We want to be a church that blesses the city. Uh, in the past few years, we've been doing uh, primarily uh, the OMC Food Bank. We have a picture of uh, our people who volunteer. We do this every month where we invite different community groups to come and to serve the city in that way. But just know this is oftentimes where churches get stuck, where we write, we, we uh, package Christmas gifts and we give food and that's it, repeat every year. And again, nothing's wrong with that, but if that's all you do, you're not really helping the city. Because uh, there's a book called When Helping Hurts, and it's really uh, helpful. There's, like, there's three categories of how you help a city. And what we're doing right now with OUMC, it's this first category that's called relief. You are bringing relief to the city. Where if they are in need of something, you fill it. And it's good when you do that. Hurricane Katrina comes, go help them build their houses because that's relief. But if you keep doing that, you keep bringing relief, that's really bad for the city. Because now they don't know how to function themselves. And so the second stage is, you can't just be about relief, but there's a second one called rehabilitation. You have to rehabilitate the city. Help them to help themselves. Help them to rehabilitate their wounds. And then the third and final stage is development. Help them to thrive. Help them to move forward. And the biggest mistake that the Church of America makes is they only do relief for every situation and every context. And that's not good. So at our church, what we have is a game plan. Where right now we have relief, and we're doing that through OUMC. And we're going to keep doing that because we think that's important. But rehabilitation, we are going to partner with Olive Crest, which is a foster care system that we hope could really bring rehabilitation to people who really need it. And our big hope is that one day we could do our own thing as a church, and that's when we do development. Where what can we do to bless 
the city. And so I hope for us that this could be something that we could all be willing to do, to partner and to serve the city in this way. And those are the five shifts, the five shifts for our church. And so concluding, how should we approach this season? Uh, I recognize that this upcoming season, if we try to do these things, there's going to be a lot of tension in this church. Like, let me just point out a few tensions that's going to be there. Uh, some of you are going to be in community groups going, that's right, community, church around the, church around the table. And some of you are like, no, church around the stage, Sunday worship, that's what it's about. And what's going to happen is, I just come on Sundays, I don't need community groups. Or I just come to community groups, I don't need Sundays. And then what happens? Tension. There's like that tension that's there. And it's kind of weird because you different people are different places. Another tension might be this tension of this idea that, hey, we should serve the city. That's right, all of Crest. But other people are like, well, we should evangelize. What about missions? And what happens? Tension. There's this tension that's there. Or there might be another tension that goes on where it's like, hey, we're doing too much. Why are we doing so many sign-ups? Why are there all these ministries? And others are like, we got to do more. Why isn't this here? Why isn't this here? Tension. It's going to be all tension that goes on there. And here's another one. Why, we should just move forward. Let's be uh, missional. Let's engage. Let's go reach out. And other of us know, let's be silent. Let's be still. Let's remember God. And we just kind of have that. What happens? It's tension. And you know where our church is going to be in the midst of all that tension? Right there. Right there. Tension's happening, and that's how the body grows. Where you maintain that, where you go, you know, this is going to be the tension that's there. We're going to embrace that as best as possible. And that's going to be, that's life. Embrace the tension. Embrace the tension in our church. Second exhortation is play your part. What can you do in the midst of that tension to help this body grow? And finally, before we pray, as we do these five shifts, what's the biggest shift that you need to make? What's the biggest shift that you kind of have to make in your heart in order for us to really get ready to grow into the fullness of Christ? And so as I invite the praise team up, can I just invite us a moment to pause and to pray? Yeah, I know that was a, a fire hydrant of stuff that was there. Again, this is a, a unique Sunday that's more pastoral than anything. But um, in the midst of all that we talked about, whether it be about Sunday worship, whether it be about spiritual growth, whether it be about community, ministries, the city, what shift in our hearts do we need? And oftentimes it's the one that we're most comfortable in. And what, where do we need to really just stretch ourselves so that we could really exhort and join along this community to make steps into practicing what Christ practices and becoming more like him? And so wherever you're at, if you're new to our church or if you're a member of our church, we just take a moment to pray before God. And even practice what was mentioned the first time, which is if God is really here, he wants to hear our burdens and our struggles, and he wants to be with us in the midst of that. And so can we take a moment as a congregation to pray and to share our, what's on our hearts, and then afterwards I'll close us all together. So let's pray.